God, we thank you for that today. We thank you that in the midst of everything in this life, we have a heavenly father who cares for us in a way that we can't even imagine. And you do call us son, you do call us daughter. That speaks to more than just creator and creation. That speaks to relationship. That says you want to know us. And God, as we choose to know you and be more like you, may we choose to always be kind as that song says that you are. God, we need to be kind to each other. We need to love. We need to accept. Above all else, first, before we judge, before we make assumptions. God, you created us all different, yet all in your image. And because of that, you love all of us the same despite our differences. Despite how we worship you different, we pray different. We go to different churches, different denominations, all over the world. People speak in different languages. It doesn't matter, God, you love us all the same. May we love each other in that same way, despite our differences. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King, and we are brothers and sisters of the human race. God, may we love like you. May we be like you. We ask that you teach us how to do those things today. We love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat. Did anybody notice our short little worship leader? Anybody see Ella? Man, wasn't that so good? Man, Judy and Daniel and Robert, man, they're doing a great job. And that's the vision of Community Life Church is no longer will we have adult services where we invite kids to be a part of it. We have family services. And so you're going to see more and more young people as a part of this because this is all of us. Somebody once said, hey, uh, why don't we um, have like a youth takeover? And I was like, you're only going to give them once in a while? How about we give them every week? How about we all do every week together? Isn't that kind of a cool thing? So Ella's first serve today. And boy, she rocked it. She was doing her whole little like thing and uh, so good. Ella, we're so proud. Can we hear it for Ella one more time? Did anybody grab one of these before? Try to figure it out? You know what this is? Somebody call it out. Right? The Rubik's Rubik's torture cube, right? Um, I started uh, playing with, what's that? Sounds about right, yeah. And so, um, so I started playing with this at some point in time, and um, there's a lot of fail. <laughs> if you need to learn how to fail, let me just tell you, pick up one of these three-by-threes, and then you can do it. And so I started playing with this at some point in time uh, just because I thought it would be a fascinating thing. I watched people on YouTube, 
And uh, there was a couple dudes that can do it in like five seconds or less. No, I'm sorry. I don't know you. I'm not trying to do anything like that. But it's amazing on when you do it, uh, how many times you fail. First service to save my life, right? I just was struggling with trying to get it together. And I thought to myself, how, how um, fitting that I wouldn't be able to actually do it um, here because of the simple fact that, like, I want to do it. And so I'm going through it. I tried everything that I possibly could to be able to put it together um, without success. I couldn't do it until the very, very end. But I want to give this to somebody, but I don't want to just give it to somebody, uh, you know, with it undone. So throughout the service here, I'm going to be working on uh, getting this together. Can you believe it? A pastor that's going to uh, do the Rubik's Cube kind of while he's preaching. Did you ever see that before? That's kind of a cool thing. Cause, but you have expectations. You think I'm actually going to be able to do it. And, uh, and in first service, people were watching and watching and watching. Eventually, I just kind of sat it down and I was like, well, I don't know. We'll see if we can get to it. So here we are. We're learning something today that's kind of um, wrapping things up. Wrapping up our conversation from the entire month of the series. Well, that's a stretch. And the idea is that we're stretching our faith in a variety of different ways. We've learned that you can stretch your faith by three things so far. We've learned that you can stretch your faith by making a commitment to grow. It's important to make these commitments because when you don't make a commitment, then you just let your life kind of float on by. It's like a, it's like a, a sail on a boat with no direction. You're just kind of blowing wherever the wind uh, takes you, but you have to make a commitment. And the idea is that we want to make a commitment to actually grow. You want to grow in your faith because if you don't grow in your faith, then you stay a baby or maybe you don't actually really even have faith. Now, I know what you're going to tell me. Why go to church? That's good. Congratulations. You go to church. But what I want to know is truly and authentically, what are you trying to accomplish by just simply going to church, right? But it's a start. So let's start there. No shame, just revealing. Here we are starting a new habit in week two that will help your faith grow. You need to start new habits when you have bad habits, because if you take out a bad habit, you got to replace it with something. And typically with somebody, let's say, um, smokers. All right. Okay. Uh, I, I was never a smoker. I have asthma. I was much smarter than that. So I chew tobacco. And so, uh, for, for me, which I guess statistically is much worse, but whatever. And so, uh, but I, but when you stop that, you usually bring something else into your life. Right. And people that stop smoking will typically eat. <laughs> That's it. Right. We just resort to more food. Right. Why well, stop drinking? So I should eat more. Why well, stop doing this? and eat more. And so, but the thing is you want to start a new habit, a healthy habit, uh, something brand new. Uh, last week we talked about letting go of an old habit, actually letting go because our bad habits rarely hold on to us. It's us who typically want to hold on to them. The bad habits are just there and they're typically automatic. And when they're automatic, it's hard for us to let them go, but it's important for us to understand the significance of what that actually means. When I let go of something, I'm choosing to let go of it. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean you set down that, that drug or that situation or that relationship and you walk away and everything's fine. It means that you're making a conscious choice to let it go. You may have to say that out loud every single day. In the name of Jesus, today I will let 
it go. Today, we're going to learn, um, kind of wrapping it all up here with making a commitment, starting a new habit, and letting it go. You can stretch your faith even when you fail. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to mess up. You're going to have those situations. Habit, uh, have. You're going to have those situations. Could be a habit, could be whatever. But the idea here for today to wrap it all up, to complete, that's a stretch series, is that you can stretch your faith even when you fail. To introduce our sermon title today, I want to tell you a story about when I was a young kid, uh, somewhere around maybe seven or eight years old, I'm not exactly sure, but it was Easter, I do remember that. It's one of those times in my life where I remember the situation, um, don't remember all the details, but I remember this uh, story. We were, we were doing um, chocolate molds. Anybody ever do that where they melt chocolate and then you put them in a mold and you put that little stick in there, which really the stick is pointless because you just pop it out and eat it. But anyway, you put the stick on it and then you do these molds. And my mom was doing this and we were in our, in our kitchen. We were living in Talmadge at the time. And she said, Gordon, please don't touch. I think that I have been paid back with my children uh, because I can't tell you how many times I have to say, do not touch. One of which I even refer to affectionately as hands, Right. And so, so we will have uh, situations like that. Anyway, mom said, don't touch the chocolates. And I thought I was going to be a super helper. And I grabbed the bag. And you know how kids are. We can, pull, we can pull with a lot of when we pull like this. And adults, we know that when we pull the bag and it opens, what happens with all those pieces of chocolate? I opened it like j- just like the Hulk, right? I was like, brah. And they went everywhere, all over the floor. And my mom turned and looked, said, Gordon, oh. <laughs> Beep. And you know as well as I do, that's not really the worst thing you've experienced today. And so with that, um, when you fail, you have these moments. Right? Let's be honest. Let's just be real. For, for, the, for one time, for crying out loud, moving forward, let's just be real about how we experience life. I fail and I have an oh, beep moment. But the idea is that you're not supposed to stay there. You may end up there, but do not stay there. You don't want to live a life where you're, where you're in this moment, where you're always there. You have a fail, you have a fail. Thomas Edison said, listen, I didn't fail. I just learned 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. That doesn't mean he did the same thing over and over and over again 10,000 times in order for it to work. He tried all these different options because he had a goal. You may have a commitment or a habit or a situation where you're trying something new or doing something different, and you need to understand that there are a lot of different ways to do it. You may be in a situation like a lot of Americans where you want to eat healthier or lose weight or whatever the situation is. There are so many apps, so many options, so many things. Do not give up. Keep trying. Keep pushing forward. There's other ways to do it. You may find 10,000 ways not to do it. But on that 10,001, it could change your life. So today we're going to talk about what that actually looks like. What does it actually look like to struggle? I'm going to be reading through the book of Romans chapter 7. So you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. I will also have it on the screen. And then I'm going to be going to 2 Corinthians. So Romans chapter 7 first. 
Um, so when I was in, uh, when I was, uh, in uh, high school, I was about 16 years old, 16 or 17 years old, somewhere around there, and I had bought a car off of my pastor at the time. It was a Z24 Cavalier in 1989. It had a slick kind of a body or whatever you can do in the 80s, uh, and then you had, it was black, and it had some dings on it, but it was just a nice car. It had that gray strip at the bottom where it said Z24 on it, and I just thought I was the coolest thing ever. It was a coupe, and my insurance was higher, and so that was fun. But I had this car. It had a V6, and uh, which was a big deal when I, when I had before, which was a four-cylinder. And so I had a V6, right? Ooh, even now I don't even have that, right? But I've learned. So I had this car, and I really liked this car. I took care of the car. I swept it out. Um, maybe that's something new you need to try. I don't know. Uh, sweep out your car. No shame. And so, uh, you know, somebody came through our neighborhood at one point in time, and they were egging cars. Egging is... Well, I don't really need to teach you that, okay? So we're not really going to talk about it. Parents, talk amongst yourselves with the kids. And so they came through, and they, were, and they were egging cars. And I was kind of upset. I didn't really understand the full impact of what they did to my car, but I, I, they egged it. And then somebody had said, well, you'll want to get that egg off of your car as soon as possible because it could mess up your paint. Oh, no, not my Cavalier. I got to take care of this. So I distinctly remember pulling into my front yard because there was the neighbor's driveway and our driveway, and then my yard was in the front there. And so it was easy to kind of drive through there. And I got in the front, and I hosed it down, and I was like, what could get this off? Mom always uses a Brillo pad for everything. Don't judge me. So I went inside and got one of those little squares that have that weird pink powder on there that you get wet and then it like foams up and it's like smells clean. And so I went outside and I was like, I am so smart. And I'm going to get down and I started. So because you don't want to ruin the car by going back and forth on it. Oh, no, I was much smarter than that. I took big circles to make sure that I got all of it off, because what if I couldn't see it with it being wet? So I got it all cleaned off and boy, did it come off good. I was so excited. I wet it down and it was a nice, clean, shiny black. And I was like, man, does that look good? Way to go, you. I threw it away and I was like, egg me again. I don't care. And then it started to dry. And somehow, these big circles of scratches were in the side of my car. And I, I told my stepdad, I said, hey, um, I, I cleaned off my car. He goes, yeah, what'd you do? I said, um, I got a Brillo pad. And he made kind of the same noise y'all made when I said it. And he goes, well, let's go look at it. And we, he looked at it, and I go, but it didn't work as well as I, it worked better, actually, than I thought it was going to work. He says, well, now you know. <laughs> now you know that a Brillo pad and the side of your car is not a good idea. That I would consider a fail. Have I done it again? Oh, no. <laughs> because I learned from my situation. We bought a newer van this, uh, this past year because he needed to replace the older van. So I went out and bought a newer van. We ha haven't had a, a van this new um, before, and we just liked it. It didn't have, it didn't have any scratches on it. Yeah, it didn't have any scratches on it when we got it, and I put it in the, in the garage, and um, see what happened was I put it in there, and I was fully confident that the, with the system I set up for, their kid, for the kids and their bikes that they would put it right back where it goes. The littlest of these uh, goes on the far away from the van, and then the oldest is over here. And what I didn't take into consideration is that they're kids, and so um, they, there's, there's, a, there's a nice uh, Hayberg Kids branding mark on the side of our new van, and I looked at that. And uh, right, I had a choice. 
I could make their identity about the scratch, or I could use this as a teaching moment because these are the training years. We tell each other that all the time, Shelly and I. Hey, these are the training years, and sometimes we have to go, I know, right? These are the training years, and so I, I take them out there. I show them your bike has a white handle, and this is a white mark. Therefore, you did it. Like, you don't even need to tell me you did it. I'm not even asking if you did it. I'm telling you that you did it. And so here's what we do. Let's not do that. And uh, they've done pretty good, as far as I can tell. And, but, but that's not who they are, right? Like, I've upset people. I've frustrated people. I've hurt people by what I said and what I do. You have as well. But that's not who you are. Following Jesus, there's a huge struggle. Following Jesus, there's a lot of hurt. And no one knows that better than the Apostle Paul someone that we've been learning from through parts of Romans uh, this entire month. And I want to show you uh, through two passages specifically what Paul's talking about when he talks about that there's a struggle. You know you failed. You know that you try not to fail, and yet you keep doing it. And I want to introduce you today to the reason why. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 28 or 25. Uh, follow along with me as I read through God's word. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Sound familiar? I want to do good, but I actually don't end up doing good. In fact, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that when I do what I don't want to do, that it's actually the sin that lives inside of me that does it. But it's not a cop-out. It's not a, the devil made me do it. It's not a moment like that. It's simply you have given permission to the sin that reigns inside of you to act out. Well, that's a lot different than what I thought growing up. I thought I could just blame the devil for my bad behavior. No, not actually. You have full permission as a follower of Christ to either let that reign in your mortal body or not. You actually, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which was a big deal, lives in you. And so you get to say how you behave. And so Paul here is saying, when I do what I don't want to do, I'm letting the sin that is in me behave out or act out. So in verse 21, he says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Even though I want to do good, even though I want to live in spirit, like we talked about last week. If you didn't watch last week, go back on the archives and listen to it. I want to walk in the spirit, but evil is always with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I delight in God's law. He's specifically talking about the very first five books of the Old Testament, the law, the law of Moses, Aries, and that nature. He's specifically talking about that. And so he's saying, listen, I delight in what God says. How we could apply that today is we delight in all of it because not all of it was put together when he was, when he was there, when he was writing this. We can delight in in what God says. But I see another law at work in me. So he's aware of the fact that this is what I want to do. This is what I delight in. But I'm aware that there's another law at work in me, 
waging war. Those two words are so important. Say those two words with me. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. You have that thought? Oh man, I really want to I really want to hit that person in the head, right? And sometimes you do. Or, which is just as bad, you play out that scenario in your head as if you did. Even a person that hates in their heart has committed murder. Didn't Jesus say that? It's a mind game, people. It's a mind game. There's this war for you, and it's up here. Because it's this battle, and the devil said, if he, can't, if, if he can get you to believe a lie, he can get you to lead, uh, lead a life that is a lie. He can get you to live a lie. And so there's this battle in our minds continually. That's why you have the thoughts of, I'm going to do this good thing, and then you come up with five reasons. Maybe not you, but the sin inside of you gives you that opportunity to say, wow, you know what, I was going to do that. But all these reasons make so much sense. Isn't it interesting how the devil makes so much sense, but God typically does not make sense? Here, let me give you an example, right? Hey, you really don't need to tithe and give to the family of God because after all, God knows you don't really have much and so you shouldn't give anything. That makes sense, right? But then you come over here and Jesus says, love your enemies. That does not make sense. It does not compute. So the reality is oftentimes... Our sin nature says, oh, that makes sense. But when we live in spirit, we're going, wow, that's different. Love my enemy, feed them, give them something to drink. That doesn't make sense. But we are supposed to not lean on our own understanding, but live, but lean on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we know what's true. And you get to do what's true, even if you don't feel like it's true. And I'm telling you what, Romans is heavy, heavy stuff, man. So let's continue here, verse, wherever I left off, 24. He says, I am a wretched man. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Have you ever had thoughts of that, man? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? I want to do this, but I don't do this. What is going on? I just can't seem to get it together. I don't understand. And there's this ah, chaos inside of you. There's this war. War is chaos, right? There looks like complete chaos. So there's this war raging inside of you, and you're trying to understand what do I do. And Paul says, what is wrong with me? I am such a wretched man. And I can only envision the Apostle Paul is writing this to the believers in Rome, this Roman church, and he's, and he's writing this out, and I, I, there's no evidence to support this. I just simply believe he's a person, and I'm a person, and I'm thinking this is how I would have done it, but that doesn't mean Paul did it. So I'm just kind of envisioning what this might have looked like. He had this moment, will anybody rescue me from this death? And he throws his pen on the, or his little feather, whatever he wrote with, or chisel, and he, and he just threw it down. Maybe he had a moment with his, with his uh, father, with his savior. And then he comes back. Because again, this isn't another verse. He didn't write 25. He just continued the next sentence. And he writes, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like he knows the truth. He probably wasn't feeling it, but he knows the truth. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I myself... In my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave 
to the law of sin. So you have two laws waging war with, un, with each other inside of you. So no wonder it's hard. You see, before Jesus, you actually had complete internal peace. You know what that means? Not peace like you think. Well, it was complete death. And so there was no war waging inside. You had turmoil, sure. You had a lot of stuff going on, but it just leaned its way towards the fact that you were dead in Christ. And then you become a new creation in Christ. And now there's two things actively at work. And you get to, in spirit, decide which one is going to play out. That's a lot different than, not my fault, not my fault. You get to take, guess what, here it comes, you guys ready? You get to take full permission for your behavior. And you didn't even see that coming, did you? You get to take full permission. Kids, you actually take full permission for the things that you're doing. Just own it. I did that. I did it. I did it. Right? We'll have moments with our kids where well, they'll do that. Yeah, I did it. And we're teaching and training that you got to be honest. You got to be real. Am I always going to be happy about it? No, because I'm still going to be upset about the fact that you did something. But it just our relationship is going to be so much stronger and better when we can trust each other. And so own it. Own what you did. The dog didn't always do it. You calling into work off. Your grandma cannot die seven times in one year, man. Poor grandma. And so own it. Own it, own it, own it. It's your behavior. I know it doesn't sound good when you call your boss and said, I just don't want to come in today. <laughs> right? You need, you need an excuse. Maybe you just need to go in and you need to push through. Maybe you need to figure out another option for you. I don't know. But own your choices. Some of these thoughts go through your head. I don't want to make fun of that person, but I do it anyway. I don't want to put myself in a compromising situation, but I do it anyway. I don't want to lie, but I do it. I don't want to steal, but I do it. This is the battle that wages within us. This is the, the, this is the war that's going on. So first of all, as a follower of Christ, let's be real. I struggle. Can, 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 would you own that? Would you say that I struggle? Like, I just, I struggle. I struggle when I follow Jesus. Ooh. But I've learned not to use a spiritual Brillo pad in my life. Because when I do that, I end up hurting people. I've learned how to help relationships, polish situations. I've learned how to create new things. I've learned how to handle that because, well, I failed a lot. I failed a lot. Shelly and I had a conversation not too long ago as I was building these desks. And she said, man, from the time that we were first married, you've come a long way. And that actually encouraged me. And she was like, I'm not trying to say anything bad. Say, no, 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 that actually made me feel good. Because when, I was, when we were first uh, married, I would try to do things, and it didn't, it didn't work. It just, let's be honest, it did not work. Here we are 15 years later. I have learned so much about things. God has put people in my path that I've been able to create a really nice thing. And then even in another couple of 15 years or whatever, I'm hoping that I'll, it'll be even better. Because I've failed and I've grown. I've failed and I've grown. I can stretch my faith. You can stretch your faith even when you fail. So Paul says that I struggle. The second thing he says, when I follow Jesus, he says, I hurt. There are pains in your life. There are difficulties in your life. There are situations in your life that may be there because it's saving your life. Let's see what the apostle Paul says about it. Second Corinthians chapter 12. 
Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, now that statement is is coming off of the first part of Roman or, or 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 through 6, where he's listing all the things and reasons why he is allowed to be conceited. And not in the sense of like, I totally get to do it, but in the sense of like, look at all that I've accomplished. I've done this, this, this. I am a full citizen. Like I've done all these things. Look at all that I've learned. Look at all that I've done. And so he says, in order to keep me from being conceited, because I have done so much that it, it's, it's just a natural thing for me to be conceited. Paul would even tell you the reason why he was going around burning churches and casting out the church was simply because of the fact that he was so confident in what he thought he knew that he went to that degree. He was an incredibly conceited individual prior to Jesus. This is his natural tendency to go towards being conceited. So he goes, even though I have that natural, even though I even have reason to, to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. I was given a thorn in my flesh, this messenger of Satan, to torment me. What? You mean to tell me that following Jesus, he's not supposed to just heal everything, take away everything, make everything fine, everything's supposed to be like sitting on a beach in a hammock? You mean to tell me like that's not really following Jesus? So God knew that Paul needed a reminder constantly to keep that relationship strong. He needed something to remind him who's really in charge. And we don't know what the thorn is. Could have been some sort of a physical thing. Could have been a limp. We don't know for sure exactly what the thorn was, but we know that it was painful. One way or another, it was painful. So he goes on three times, which is interesting to me that he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Don't we come up with the church? We even put acronyms to it. Push, man. Pray until something happens, right? We tell people to keep going, keep going. He comes to his heavenly father and he says three times, right? Hey, can you please take this from me? And uh, he says to him, no. He says, no. Actually, the way that he says it, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you really need. You don't need this to be taken away. You need my grace to sustain yourself. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power can come through in remarkable ways through your weakness. Why? Because consider the differences, right? When you're having a moment of Dear, dear God, please don't let that child die. Dear God, please take away this illness. Dear God, please don't make me go through this. Dear God, please give us the money we need. Dear God, please help this marriage stay together. Dear God, please work with me. And you can feel the weakness that comes from those statements. We don't act like that when we feel like we have it all together. When we have it going good, we have enough in our account, we have cars that are working, our house is fine, the kids are healthy, everything's good. Nobody's on their knees there going, dear God, thank you for the way that you are providing. We're not doing that. We simply just live until we need them again. I'm a recovering, I'm a recovering person that prays like that. And so here's the thing. We, uh, his power is made perfect. Or, or you, should, you could say complete in weakness. So this, this past couple of weeks, 
you know, my back's been just, oh, and I've had an illness, not an illness, but I've had back issues since I was 15 years old. Uh, I believe I'd inherited it from my mom. Thanks, mom. And so I have that going for me. And so she's always had uh, back issues. At any given time, she could go to reach for something, pop, she's got down for a week. Um, so uh, my sister has that. And so now I'm dealing with that. And uh, for the past at least three weeks or so, I've just been in pain. It's gotten progressively worse. And of course, uh, pain combined with my ignorance of feeling like it's getting better and going to do stuff and move stuff uh, has made it even worse. And so I said, God, this Sunday to me is so important. I need this to go away because I need all the energy that I can muster up to be able to motivate people. And God was very intentional with me. And he said, let me remind you that this is not your church. It's my responsibility to build it. It's your responsibility to make disciples. This is what I'm learning because I'm in recovery. My recovery is thinking that it all relies on me. And Jesus made it very, very clear. No, no, my church, I'm responsible for it. So my job is to empower you, not to motivate you. Your job is to figure out what you need to be motivated by because if being saved by the living God from death itself does not motivate you, you might want to revisit that conversation with your heavenly father because he has rescued you from death itself. And so, though I struggle, though I hurt, one thing that we all can do, which is what Paul did, is that I can simply give what I have. Dan? In the book of Acts, there's this incredible account of the apostle Peter and John, and it's, it's kind of challenged me in new ways. You see, the apostle Peter and John are on their way to the temple for an hour of prayer something they probably have done many times, and of course the community does often. And this time as they were going, they saw a beggar, and this beggar's been there many times. He was consistently carried out there and sat down so that he could beg. Well, when they saw Peter and John walk towards him, he reached out and he said, hey, can I have some money? And Peter and John said, look at me. It wasn't a matter of look at me like, do I have? money it was give me your eyes let me add value to you i want you to see me as i see you and here's the here's the crazy thing about it he thought his need was money but it wasn't even something they could fulfill because in acts 3 6 they say silver and gold i don't have any but i'll give you what i do have which was interesting because what they had was actually going to fulfill a need Peter and John, looking at his eyes, said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And as they reached out to grab his hand, his legs immediately became strong and he was able to walk. What you have, where you are, is exactly what people are in need of. This is an incredible story of being able to reach people where they are with what you have. No longer will we allow ourselves to feel shame and guilt because we can't give people what they ask. Instead, we want to disciple people where they are with what we have. 
We have an incredible opportunity throughout the entire month of October to share what we have with people right where they are. But there's going to be opportunities all month long to be able to care for people, love people, and support people, both now, today, in the present, and in the future. We're going to be able to focus on our sharing as we give resources to the church. Not a building, right? Not just a facility. It's, it's the people. We're going to have opportunities to serve the church and the community in incredible ways. And you get to be a part of that very thing. So be on the lookout. We are ready to make a difference with what we already have. We are ready to make a difference together. Be on the lookout and check out makeadifferencetogether.info for more information throughout the entire month of October. You are able to make a difference. Let's make that difference together. So we have an opportunity to work together to do something amazing. You as well as I do know that you want to make a difference in your life. And the best way to make the biggest difference is by working together. Now here's what we're going to do to get us started. On your way out, every uh, household is going to be able to pick up a, uh, a packet of door hangers. There's going to be five in there. Over these next few days until October 1st, I want you to pray over who needs to get one of these door hangers. And what you're going to do is you're going to see on here, it says they're very simple, simply written. Everything's very simple for everybody. We're choosing to make a difference. And it says, hello, from, I want you to put your name in it. Because you're a disciple. You're a follower of Christ. You get to do this. Hello, from the, and I filled one out already for us, the Hayberg family, Right? the Haybrick family. And the next thing it says, we are able to help with what do you already have? Don't try to do what everybody else is doing. What can you do with what you already have? Maybe you can rake leaves. Maybe you can pick up groceries. Maybe you can offer a special prayer. Maybe you can offer a conversation. I don't know what you can do. I know what we can do. So you write your name on here, and then you're going to say, we're able to help with. And the idea is that you may even know your neighbor enough to know what they need. If you don't yet, that's fine. The month of October is going to be an incredible opportunity to make a difference in their life. On the back side, it said, you can reach me at. Our hope is that you'll put your phone number on there. But if for whatever reason you're not comfortable doing so, we also have the church phone number on here as well. So that way they can call in and then we can help connect them to you. We are going to make a difference together. And I want you on October 1st to go around and place this, right, with the blue out so it kind of stands out there. And put it out there so that they can see what we're doing. Right? It's not about community life, church, and look at us. Not at all. It's about, hey, who put this on here? Oh, the Hayberg family on our street. They know us. More times than not, it's because they hear our kids. And so they hear us. But we've built relationships with people. To my right, you'll find neighbor Ed. That's his name. I call him neighbor Ed. There's Patrick. We have family across the street, Sam. 
and Deacon and uh, Kayla and uh, Jace, Jace, the baby Jace. And the Freimeyers are over there. Some guy named Matt is <laughs> over here. Shelly went to school with him. We have Leo down the street from us who calls Brooklyn. Um, what did she call you? Hot Rod. Because she's usually going about Mach 3 down the sidewalk on her bike. We know our neighbors, and I want you to know yours. So this is a tool, just a tool, for you to be able to get that started together. So the big idea for today is very simple. You can stretch your faith even when you fail. I know you failed. I failed. Here's what I want you to do about it. Own it. Grieve it. And get over it. Stop living your fail. It happened. I'm sorry. Learn from it and move forward. You get to move forward in incredible, incredible ways because you can be a difference maker. You can make a difference with your time, your money, your tools, your family, your emotions, your marriage, your life, your car, your house, what you know, your knowledge. You can make a difference. So let's do that. So here's our next steps. Here's our next steps. Very simple, but very hard to do. Keep going. Keep trying. Get back up. Do it anyway. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And not just, oh, everybody's a Christian. No, no. <laughs> there may be a lot of people that, that, that say that. But followers of Christ look different. Hands down, they look different. That's where we need to go. We have such limited time in this world. I don't want to spend another moment trying to just kind of coax people along. You're either in or you're out. Jesus said, follow me. No? Okay. And he went with those who came with him. So that's where we are. And we want to make a difference in the people's lives. And here's how we can let people know that we're going to do it. What we're going to do is we're going to do a selfie pledge. You don't have to do it in here. I don't want you to do it in here. I want you to watch. And what we're going to do is you're going to go live on your Facebook or your Instagram, and you're going to put out there, say, hey, my name is Gordon Haberg, and I am pledging to be a difference maker through Community Life Church, and I uh, empower uh, Nicole Dyer to be a difference maker with me. Will you, uh, will you make a difference uh, with me through the life of the church? Right? And then we're going to hashtag it, Difference Maker CLC. Because you have relationships with people that I don't. So why would you limit your impact based on me? Well, the pastor put it out. I'm sure that's good. There's people in your neighborhood that will never connect with me the way they connect with you. And why should they? You're going to put door hangers on doors and you're going to pray over these people and your life is going to be changed this October. We have 31 days to make a difference. And the only way that we're going to make a difference, a God-sized difference, is by following his plan and doing this together. I want you to join me. Will you please stand on your way out today as you head out? Uh, those uh, door hangers will be on two tables out there. Grab one um, bundle per household. Pray over them. 
And then on October 1st, let's blanket where we live with those. Now, when we receive the blessing today, I wonder if we would not put our hands out, right? I want to receive it. But rather, I want you to put your hands aside. One or two, I don't care. Let's pray this blessing over our church family. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So you get to do this too. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and be the church.